Welcome to Refresher, the Pop Culture Therapy Podcast. Once again, I am your host, Chris Levine, and I thank you so much for joining me again this time around. Today is going to be a fun one. I'm going to start with a question for you. Are you or have you ever been a collector? A lot of us are. Uh, For me, I've always collected records. Uh, I like to get my hands on vintage things from time to time, too. But, but what about you? Do you like to collect stuff? Well, the website, icebreakerideas.com, has an article, and it's called 246 Cool Things to Collect. It's pretty well done. Now, I'm not going to hit, obviously, on all 246 of these things, but in addition to the things that I thought might be obvious, like people collecting coins or baseball cards, there were some that stood out to me. For example, tin lunchboxes. There are people that have amassed a lot of those. Teacups. Some people collect those. Sundials. Movie posters. Model trains. Some people have amassed a huge collection of sneakers. And then there's something that might be a little more obscure, like drive-in movie theater speakers. There are just so many things. Now, this piece on this website also mentions that there are benefits to collecting. For example, it states that collecting can build one's expertise in a particular area. And I think that's true. I I think that we learn as we collect if we're really paying attention. Also, collecting helps us to build organizational skills. If your collection gets huge and it involves cataloging and learning about things or going by years or whatever the case may be, you may become very, very organized. Finally, it says that collecting can be profitable. If that's the reason why you're doing it, then that's definitely something that's a benefit as well. But our big question here for the sake of our podcast today is why? Why do we collect things? As human beings, what's the draw? Well, there's a website called Coin Week, and it asked this in an article. The article is called, Why Do We Want This Stuff? Eight Views on the Psychology of Collecting. Now, I'm going to use a lot of this as a basis for our discussion. So let's explore this. It mentions that one simple reason for collecting is the joy of buying something. Everyone seems to like to spend time looking for something that they find interesting, whether it's somebody browsing at a hardware store or maybe perusing an antique mall or searching the web for something coveted. Searching and buying is is actually kind of a fun process. So that's one reason why there's joy in collecting. Another reason is that for many, it can kind of be a return to their childhood. The article says, for example, that comic books, dolls, toys, sports cards, they all allow their owners to kind of relive a part of their childhood. And a lot of adult collectors often say that they buy the things now that they wish they could have bought when they were kids. Now, this next reason, I'm just going to read it directly. 
It cites the book To Have to Hold, An Intimate History of Collectors and Collecting, where it sees collecting as protection against death. Now, I read this and you're probably thinking, wait, what? I thought that too. But check this out. Sometimes collectors deal with their inevitable demise by creating something that will live on after they're gone. It actually used the example of Henry Huntington, the early 20th century real estate developer, railroad operator, and book collector, who, as Californians would know, founded the Huntington Library in San Marino. Now, not only did Huntington find and establish a library with enough resources that his collection remained together, this man actually had himself buried at the library so that he would never have to leave his beloved books. So there are different levels and different reasons for collecting. Now, pop culture obviously has no shortage of this concept either. It's just a few examples. In 1946, there was a film called Dress to Kill, and it was a character that collected music boxes. In 1965, there was a film called Three Hats for Lisa, and it's about collecting British hats, even if it meant stealing them. There's another one in 1948 called Spring in Park Lane, and it has an art collector. And of course, there's The Gang's All Here from 1939, which involves an extensive jewelry collection. I'm just scratching the surface. There are so many examples on TV and in the movies of people that are collectors. But there's just something satisfying about collecting things, isn't there? I used to watch my father at his desk with his stamp books, and you could see how his collection actually brought him some peace. You know, you can see the same trait in many who frequent swap meets or estate sales too. It's not just shopping. For many, it's kind of escaping. It's an outlet. But it can take weird turns though. Um, there's a documentary about collecting records called Vinyl. It's kind of a hard watch for me because I can relate to it not just for happy, but also for confusing reasons but it shows more than just a love for collecting records. Uh, in a lot of cases, it shows what collecting is replacing in other people's lives. Uh, one scene I remember, it had a man who decided not to keep his record collection anymore, so he takes them to a large trash bin and throws them all away. Now, as a record collector, that was very, very painful to watch, but it was obvious to me that he wasn't just throwing away albums. He was throwing away a part of himself that he didn't want anymore. And he didn't want anybody else to have it either. That is deep psychological stuff. I mentioned my dad's stamp collection. He sold it before he died. And I remember hating to see that. But he was centered about it. He was realistic about it. And he didn't need it anymore. To me, it was like he was selling his passion. To him... Honestly, it was making a few bucks off a hobby that he enjoyed for many years. See, he was balanced with it. And I can relate in a way at this point in my life when it comes to collecting too. If my records had to go, I'd probably miss the process of crate digging from time to time. But I'd be okay because I don't psychologically need my albums the way that I used to need them. So I guess it's just not the same for every collector. 
there is a website called Home Museum, and it had a piece by a journalist who's observed this behavior. I think they put it nicely. And just FYI, when you hear the word I, I'm reading what the writer wrote. It's not me, for the record. It's the writer here on this website. So let me start here. It says, collecting might be thought of as a subset of a larger human behavior named, if only for the sake of convenience, hobbies. But I'm sure that this may not be true. I theorize that collectors and hobbyists are entirely different things. Take model train people as evidence. I used to take my casework to train shows when they came to Northern California. Nice people, those model train hobbyists, but they come in two distinct flavors. There are those who build tracks and little cities and mountains, etc., and then play with their trains. Then there are collectors who are somehow compelled to own a sample of every locomotive that Lionel made in a given year, or all of the locomotives that Lionel ever made, or all the locomotives, cars, tankers, cabooses, etc., of a given scale or a given year or a given manufacturer. Often, they don't even open the packages because I'm told that reduces the value. Both the builders and the collectors go to the same show, and I suppose they talk to each other, but they are a completely distinct and different species. Now, personally, this is me now talking, not the article. I, Chris, agree. My dad's stamps were just one of his hobbies. End of story. The intense collector, though, is different. And again, there's probably a lot of different reasons for this. Uh, if you've noticed... Most of my film references, and for that matter, an enormous percentage of my vinyl collection are way before I was born. You know, that stuff came out way before I was in existence. So it's almost like I'm nostalgic for a time I never saw. When we collect, we in a way get to go there. We get to be a part of the times that we never actually lived in. My son is 13. And he honestly listens to more 60s, 70s, and 80s music than anything else. Almost all of his favorite TV shows came out before he was born. Now, one might feel, well, there was a lot of quality in those years in entertainment at that time, and that's true. But just for whatever reason, he's way more of a fit for Generation X than he is Generation Y or Z or Millennial fit. We are all drawn. To different things. When one flaunts something as being a guilty pleasure, another person may proudly promote and feel right at home with the same thing. In fact, some like the uniqueness of collecting different things that one might not think of. For example, you know those little stickers that are found on bunches of bananas? One lady keeps them and she has a banana sticker collection that consists of over 7,000 labels that are all different, completely unique labels. Then there's a 77-year-old collector that became obsessed with lawn gnomes 50 years ago. He now has 1,600 of them. There's a lady who has an impressive collection of 1,054 slinkies. And here's the last one. A person in Switzerland has collected over 11,000 different do not disturb signs from hotels 
in 189 countries across the world since 1985. Well, that kind of tells me something. Collecting can be an expression of individuality. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? Well, to close, I'm going to revert to maybe the most used word on this podcast. And it totally applies here too. That word is balance. If you want to start a collection, or if you already have, it can be both fun and educational and rewarding and great. But the caution, at least in my thought, would be this. If we are collecting to fill a void, or we're collecting something to cover over hurt, well, this can be a little trickier. Imagine, for example, a person's identity was strongly encapsulated in their collection, say, of wooden walking canes. Now imagine they have a house fire and their cane collection is gone. It's destroyed. Well, a part of them might very well be destroyed right along with them. That can be dangerous. Of course, if one's sad because they lost a collection, that's normal and that would make perfect sense. The, the fear I have, though, is if we essentially become our collection, it becomes a part of our identity and maybe even our self-worth. That's kind of scary because when we use things to fill voids or repair hearts, that's dangerous territory. So if that's our motivation for collecting, we should maybe see how else we can legitimately work these things out. So again, it's just trying to be balanced. So you can have a huge collection of something and still be in a really good headspace. If that's the case, enjoy the process. Sound reasonable? You know what? Let's close with a quote from the French artist Matisse. He said, what I dream of is an art of balance, of purity and serenity devoid of troubling or depressing subject matter, a soothing, calming influence on the mind, rather like a good armchair which provides relaxation from physical fatigue. We have once again arrived at the time of refre on Refresher when we present you with a Spotify playlist to set a nice tone for the day musically. Uh, we have for you this time around a Refresher podcast collecting It Keeps Going and Going and Going playlist. You can find it really easily on Spotify. Just type in Refresher podcast collecting It Keeps Going and Going and Going playlist. So let's get right into it. Number one is the song Shopping by The Jam. Song number two is by The Posies, and it's called Flavor of the Month. Song number three, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. No, not by you 2 This is the super cool lounge version of their song by Apollinare Rossi. Number four, Joining a Fan Club by Jellyfish. Song number five is Thrift by Lunch Money. Song number six is Total Mass Retain by Yes. Threw some prog on there this time. Number seven is Buried Treasure by Grant Lee Phillips. Song number eight is Swap Meat by Nirvana. Song number nine is Try Some, Buy Some 
by George Harrison. You know, as I was making this list, it dawned on me that I don't know anyone on this list personally. I didn't get to interview anyone here this time. There's just a little kind of a, of a six degree thing going on here. The only one closest is Alvin Taylor. Now, Alvin Taylor was a really, really nice, really great guy. And he was a great interview. He is an incredible drummer who played with George Harrison, though he didn't play on this album. He actually played on the George Harrison album, 33 and a third. He also was the drummer in the Eric Burden band, played on a ton of other people's records, including Elton John and Billy Preston. He also was on the very first airing as a drummer of Saturday Night Live in 1975. So if you want to see what he can do, you can actually go to YouTube. You can type in the Eric Burden Band. The name of the song is River of Blood. It's live. Watch Mr. Alvin Taylor take his solo in that song. It's, it's really good. So number nine is Try Some Buy Some by George Harrison. Song number 10, finally, is the 13 minute and 44 second version of in all its glory, My Favorite Things by John Coltrane. Again, you can find this playlist really easily on Spotify. Just type in Refresher Podcast-Collecting. It keeps going and going and going playlist. So thanks so much, everyone, for your support of this podcast. And guess what? We have more new listener announcements. Let's start off with my hometown in Simi Valley, California. I, I'm so happy to see that pop up on the list. I, I, what, was, what was keeping you guys? But you're now on our list of new listeners, as well as Spring Hill, Florida, and Secaucus, New Jersey. So welcome, everyone. And if you all could do me a favor, please continue to pass this podcast along to your friends. Uh, also, if you'd like to help keep this podcast stay up and running, if you would like, you can make a small monthly contribution just see the support this podcast link under the episode description, and it'll give you the options of contributing either 99 cents a month, $4.99 a month, or $9.99 a month. If you're so inclined, that would be great. But I got to say it again, and I really hope you're listening. Whether you do or you don't contribute, just please feel free to listen and enjoy anytime you want. This podcast is yours either way. Another podcast of note is the Managing Expectations podcast. You can check that out on Spotify. It's pop culture after it's gone through grad school. It's some deep stuff. They have something special there. They are the Managing Expectations podcast. And also, there's the 7208 podcast on Spotify as well, where my son, Harrison, and I tackle pop culture multi-generationally. That is the 7208 podcast on Spotify. Hats off to you, Mr. Harrison. As always, the music that begins and ends this podcast is by the band Dive, and the song is called A Day Late, and it was written by Mr. John Villafuerte. So until next time, this is Chris Levine for Refresher, the pop culture therapy podcast. Everyone, please take care and do yourself a favor and remember that there's a big difference between worry and concern. We'll see you next time.